Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you for listening on. I have a wonderful, wonderful, and amazing guest with us today. This is Dr. Kate Collins. Say hi to everyone, Kate. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I am so happy that she is here with us today on today's show. For those of you who do not know who she is, uh, Dr. Kate Collins is a director of lifestyle medicine. Uh, She is currently the president-elect of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Um, By the time this show airs, she's going to be uh, the president. She is a member of El Camino Medical Associates and leads lifestyle medicine as a practice for El Camino Health Primary Care uh, Offices. Um, she is dual board certified in lifestyle medicine and cardiology, and she has a lot of certifications, uh, a graduate degree in exercise physiology, um, and we can take the entire episode to list out her accolades, but I'm so happy she's here on the show. Thank you for spending your time with us today. Well, it's great to be here, Colin. Uh, exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It. I'm uh, I'm excited you are here too, and um, we are going to jump right in. Where are you calling from right now? I'm actually calling from uh, the Monterey area in California. Okay, okay, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. So we're still on, the, still on the still on the down by the coast. water and everything. Yeah. yeah, great. I think that's one of the highlights of being on the West Coast is you know we can be by the coast. So I love hearing about people's stories and the centerpiece of Thrive Bites and, you know, the podcast before you and I hopped on was really capturing the essence of people's origins of their stories and how they got from point A to B. Another guest uh, told me on the other uh, previous episodes where, you know, it's not as simple or straightforward as A to B, you know, sometimes we have to kind of detour and bob and weave through our stories um, and how we came to arrive to our current moment. But I would love to hear, and if you can share with uh, our audience, you know, about what inspired you to initially go into cardiology, and then from that to transition into lifestyle medicine. Sure. So that's a fun way to start the conversation, because don't often get to, you know, reel back and, and see and think about that, you know, probably be sort of showing my age. Uh, but I went to college in the 1970s, and um, at that time, I was, you know, really drawn to exercise sciences and, and specifically exercise physiology. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really interested in, in exercise to build strong muscles per se. It's not that I wasn't interested in that, but I was really interested in um, the cellular processes and the physiology and so forth in uh, in the heart and vascular and pulmonary systems. And I wasn't really a pre-med. The pre-med people 
didn't seem to be having as much fun as I wanted to have. So I, I didn't really do a pre-med track. Steered away from medical school initially. Um, I decided instead to really study more in, in exercise physiology. But pretty soon after I started my graduate degree, you know, I really started seeing working with clinical in a clinical way, and that's and that's really what got got me. So I was when I was graduate student, I was at the University of Wisconsin, and I would split my my TA responsibilities, sort of the way I would support myself in part with doing uh, peak VO2 uh, testing on Olympic athletes. Um, the Haydens were uh, training; they were from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. That's where I was. And so we would uh, treadmill test them and do peak VO2 testing um, on, on them and other athletes that were speed skaters. That was very exciting. But then on another day, I would be uh, jogging around the lakes, you know, University of Wisconsin, Madison's on this beautiful lakes and Lake Mendota, and I'd have a cardiac patient that I would be jogging with and, and monitoring. So when I had that kind of you know, both ways of, of looking, I really found myself most drawn uh, to the clinical aspects. And then I sort of did, I had to go back and do some pre-med classes. I did a master's thesis. That was also quite interesting and a little bit more clinical. I, I studied um, the maternal and fetal effects of aerobic conditioning. And mm-hmm. so this was kind of fun because it, I, I went back to the historical texts on how women were treated and how much they did physical exertion. And then when they were told that they shouldn't do any physical exertion, which happened, I think, sometime in the in the 40s and 50s. Uh, don't quote me exactly on that. And so I was like, really? That just seems so unnatural. And so the, the uh, animal research had said that when women exercised, they, they stole blood away from the placenta and, and there was growth retardation in, in the, in the babies or the fetuses. Mm-hmm. And so I went at it from, from that aspect of looking at fetal well-being and fetal stress through uh, fetal heart rate monitoring and then looked at the women, followed these women, um, through their pregnancies and into labor and delivery, which is again what put me you know, I was in on all of their labor and deliveries um, and then looked at the Abgar scores on the babies. That's the, mm-hmm. the the scores when the babies are delivered. So, again, it kind of got me in the hospital, got me that taste of clinical work. And, and ultimately, I, I decided to uh, go back. So I started medical school at age 28 mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and went at it from that standpoint. And then ultimately it was sort of between OB-GYN and cardiology, but I, I really loved uh, the exercise physiology part as it relates to the heart and vascular and pulmonary system. So ultimately uh, went the cardiology route. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, exercise physiology is such a great uh, field to study in. And, you know, similarly, like yourself, um, I um, – you know, I felt I felt that there's a lot you can do in you know in 
a, you know, pretty much college and university studies where if you know that you're pre-med, it doesn't have to be, you know, all, all sciences. You know, I think a lot of my classmates were either some form of biology or chemistry type of major. You know, I actually really cared about psychology of humans. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I actually dwelled more into psychology and graduated with a psychology degree. Um, so I understand that notion of, you know, really having this particular interest in something, um, not necessarily being full on, you know, uh, you know, science intensive, but being able to look at it from a different angle. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, exercise physiology, that's, that's, that's incredible. So, and so, you know, from there, what did you learn in cardiology as you were practicing um, that led you to think more that, okay, we need to kind of take a step back um, and look at it from a more, a more holistic point of view, um, aka, you know, more of the pillars of lifestyle medicine. Like, what, mm-hmm. what was, what, what were the uh, clues or breadcrumbs, sort of speak, that kind of led you, you know, to look for more? Because as you know, there's not a lot of nutrition or lifestyle um, education within medical school curricula, and you know, I think the last. Most recent uh, survey was around 27% actually required a nutrition class. And, you know, I've talked about in previous uh, episodes where, you know, for me, I only received like 10 credit hours of nutrition. It was only biochemistry. So was that similar for you as well? And, you know, what did you find in practice? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, the the only reason I could hold on, you know, through cardiology, it's, you know, it's very much medication, procedures. Um, and diagnostics. You know, I, I did my board certification in nuclear cardiology in the, in the course of things, did a lot of echo training, and it was very hard to stay in the lifestyle arena while, while I was a, a clinical cardiologist. But the one thing I did early on um, was to start a cardiac rehab program. Uh, so that was, you know, more than 25 years ago. Uh, so I could keep my interest in lifestyle and I could see how this was so powerful for patients. Um, but as you know, Colin, um, the, the original cardiac rehab programs were, were, uh, exercise based, uh, mm-hmm. very little nutrition. Uh, but still we got some powerful effects, uh, because, you know, people were with us three, three times a week for 12 weeks, 36 sessions. Um, and so I could see the effect of at least an exercise lifestyle intervention. And I was able to kind of keep my interest going while I was still having to, you know, do a lot of non-lifestyle related cardio- cardiology care. Uh, but mm-hmm. what was interesting over the time is that actually in my office, not in cardiac rehab, but, but just the day-to-day seeing patients, you know, 20 patients a day, there was so little time for me to deal with lifestyle mm. in those patients. Um, you know, by the time I got tests ordered and medication refills and, you know, talked about their angina, it left very little time to really dive and take a deep dive into, um, you know, a prescriptive approach to lifestyle in that setting. I, uh, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned that because I interviewed a fellow cardiologist like yourself, um, David uh, Sabgir, the founder of uh, Walk with a Doc, and oh, yeah. he was he was uh, explaining how 
he created the movement um, similarly in a person, a, a doctor to patient encounter, you know, and over several uh, years, he just found that, you know, as much as he tried to teach and try to educate, it wasn't as effective. So he was looking for different ways. Um, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the rest was history when he, you know, started the his foundation um, or organization. So how, how did you come across you know, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, you know, how did you start implementing um, everything into your practice? So this is kind of a quirky story, I got to say. I, 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 so, <laughs> the quirkier, the better. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, you've probably gone through board recertification. So in cardiology and in internal medicine, for that matter, you know, it's every 10 years, you got to reboot, go back and, and make sure you looked at all the new data and, you know, do the formal board review. And so I went down to Redondo Beach and I think it was 2014 to take a little time away from my practice and and my family cause, mm-hmm. so that I could focus on uh, studying for that, uh, 20, that this, my 20-year uh, cardiology boards. I decided I would I'd heard about the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and the conference. So I picked the hotel where the conference was so that I would have a diversion from studying. Mm-hmm. And so I would study in my room for, you know, three or four hours, and then I'd go to something uh, at the conference. So I was brand new to the conference. And it was just that stark contrast between, you know, studying more immunology for heart transplant patients versus what made so much more sense, which was lifestyle medicine to treat patients, that we mm-hmm. that we needed to do something. We couldn't just keep, you know, ramping up medications and needing to transplant patients' hearts. Uh, so it really was sort of this um, stark contrast between the approaches of being so interventional with approaches that just resonated with me, you know, from my... From my background is, is we just need I need to do more of this, we need to do more of this, and you know we need to to bend the path uh, back towards uh, really implementing lifestyle we We always say that we're lifestyle counseling you know it's an, it's a number one recommendation when your patient has heart disease but but we don't really do it. We write it down as number one on and then we just jump right over that to number two, which is a medication. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. And why do you why do you think that you know why do you think that we don't do it? What is what do you feel are obstacle or obstacles um, you know or challenges to not just cardiologists but you know primary care uh, specialists to you know the subspecialists where in some way shape or form um, chronic disease chronic you know lifestyle related disease is you know, inter, uh, inter, in, intertwine in a lot of the pathologies that we treat. And pathologies, mm-hmm. what I mean is the disease processes that we face as a country. Well, I mean, I think there's 
there's several obstacles, and I'm sure you have felt them, as have I, and probably number one would be time in that, you know, in a given time that you have in a, in a and I took a lot of time with my patients, um, but still, if you are in a, and I was not RVU-based, if you're an RVU-based practice and you have to meet a certain number of RVUs from your organization, then your time is going to be quite limited. I think that time is number one, or let me, let me move back. I would say knowledge is number one. Education mm. is number one, why why it's not done. I think physicians are as confused as to the specifics as their patients are. You know, we're all subject to a lot of misinformation, particularly as it relates to nutrition, mm-hmm. for sure. Number two is time. And I, I would say number three is telling people, you know, talking and telling is such a small piece implementing lifestyle medicine. It's a small piece of behavior change. You know, I think that's why when physicians talk to patients, you know, in very small, in short periods of time, and then when the patient comes back and nothing has changed, um, I think it's discouraging, but it's expected. Right, you did. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just give people little bits and expect um, that to to really help them that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, and I've done an, I've done a lot of um, research into this. There's several factors. You know, it's one the educational piece that you're referring to. A lot of you know surveys and studies show that you know physicians you know are not as confident you know to be able to administer lifestyle related counseling because they just you know, weren't really grounded in it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, if you still survey patients, you know, they still, majority of them still defer to their physician as the primary source of these types of information. And so you have a very contrasting dichotomy where, you know, one end, they're looked, uh, you know, physicians are looked upon as, you know, dispensers of these types of health and wellness types of information. Mm-hmm. And then the other, mm-hmm. the other flip side of the coin is, you know, we're just not trained enough, you know, and mm-hmm. you can look at it through the, you know, surveys and studies of, you know, residents, I think like internal me- uh, medicine residents on one study where, you know, they wish they had more, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. going back to the curricula, you know, we're just not, you know, it's just not enough. So, you know, which has to me several reasons for that. But uh, yeah, I think what ACLM is uh, is doing is great. Um, you know, do you feel like we need to of um, that famous uh, cartoon that Dean Ornish, uh, you know, likes to present every <laughs> every time he he presents at the conferences? You know, people mopping up the floor um, mm-hmm. instead of turning off the faucet um, is mm-hmm. a great analogy to our current. Uh, battle with chronic lifestyle related disease is, mm-hmm. you know, what do you think is the faucet that we need to turn off? Does it start from the educational level? Does it start from policy? You know, where do you think it needs to be addressed like first? Mm, that's a tough one. So turning off the faucet, uh, who, who could turn off the faucet the fastest or, you know, the most effectively? I think it is the physician and I think it's the primary care physician in that encounter when a patient first has uh, the first signs of something that's off on laboratories or or some or a symptom even, which is, mm-hmm. you know, something that hasn't become 
so chronic and so embedded uh, and patient has not been started on medication. Uh, so it's a perfect time uh, before the faucet gets on all full blast to um, ramp up this conversation about lifestyle. But beyond that, I, I think the conversation is very, you know, it's just one small piece of that puzzle. I think really mm-hmm. what has to happen at that point is what I would say is a lifestyle medicine team model of care where you take it beyond just counseling and you refer the yeah. patient uh, yeah. to a nutritionist. You refer them to an exercise physiologist. You get them back in your office and you sort of intensify everything mm-hmm. at the outset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, similar to like a, you know, patient-centered uh, medical home model, it's, uh, it, it, it's better if, if you have, I would probably say, you know, if you're able to create a practice or a type of center where you have multiple of these team members under one house, I think that would, you know, in terms of behavior change and convenience, um, I think that would help the patient to kind of mm-hmm. come to a place where it's an all-stop shop. You know, it, I agree with you. It, talk and education and counseling and coaching is important and effective, but I think, you know, bringing that into play frequency of visits, meaning having mm-hmm. them come back uh, with, you know, reinforcement, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just uh, having them go through the motions of seeing different types of other professionals, like the dietitian and, like you said, mm-hmm. the exercise physiologist, kind of like one of those social workers or behavior therapists where they can work on behavior change as well. And so it, it, it really is a team model approach, um, but I find that personally speaking, lifestyle medicine really, really is about accountability and being that role model and practicing lifestyle medicine for yourself. So if you're the practitioner practicing it, then, you know, it makes the message that you want to convey that much stronger to be able to, for that uh, recipient to be able to understand. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So the walk the walk and talk the talk, you know, and that that goes into why perhaps some providers don't counsel that much to it because they haven't had a personal journey in lifestyle, um, you know, that they that they feel passionate about. And it's very hard. I mean, it's disgenuous to advise someone to do something that you're not doing yourself. (laughs) So that may hold back. some physicians in terms of really bringing lifestyle into the conversation, you know, their their own personal life as well as their professional confidence on what they're saying uh, to the patient. It's also mm-hmm. true that, you know, different, different physicians say different things to patients. And I, I know I've heard that over the course of, of my practice. Uh, I'd advise one thing and, and the physician or the patient would say, well, Dr. Such and Such said, the opposite, you know, two weeks ago right. when I was in their office and I'm, okay, so we don't want to, you know, contradict one another, uh, which kind of goes back to the point, which is, you know, we just need to bring the education in at the medical school and residency level for this new generation of, of physicians. So they mm-hmm. are kind of all dealing with the same uh, set of knowledge, you know, as our healthcare system matures. With with different trained physicians, I think that's that's going to be huge mm-hmm. uh, over time. Mm-hmm. And actually, Colin, to, you know, 
to yours and my interest is both in culinary medicine. I think culinary medicine is a huge way, really lighting a fire for people. And at least mm-hmm. in our in the work I've done here in the last 18 months, all the things that we offered, uh, culinary medicine classes uh, were the most impactful, you know, as a representation of our lifestyle medicine program. In other words, mm-hmm. when people signed up and came and met with us and tasted food and sat down and had ate with us mm-hmm. the food that we'd all prepared, and in that context, we could talk to them about lifestyle medicine and, and what we do here with our with our program. That changed more minds about the concept of lifestyle medicine and what was possible than any amount of talking could have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it mm-hmm. was really it was the experiential, and it was you know coming through through taste. Yeah, um, I think another aspect of lifestyle medicine is really exercising the five senses, you know, of, you know, our, of our humanity pretty much. And mm-hmm. lifestyle medicine, yes, we are talking about diet and cooking and nutrition. And so it's going to be capturing the visual, you know, of the food and the taste and the smell uh, and the sense of touch, you know. Um, you know, we've had culinary workshops, you know, throughout the conferences over the years and, you know, having the hands-on workshops and being able to apply those skills um, so it's very multidimensional um, when you're uh, applying lifestyle medicine. And to me, you know, I think everyone is a different learner, uh, whether it's like visual or kinesthetic. Um, and so what's great about lifestyle medicine, um, and I'm sure you, you, you would agree, is uh, being there's not one way to demonstrate it or to apply it. But, you know, it's just a it's a very it's a very large toolbox that you could you know, use as, um, as per your discretion. Um, I'm very interested. So you're mentioning about this program. Take us, you know, from the beginning when you created your lifestyle, uh, lifestyle, you know, uh, medicine program um, in, you know, your practice. What, uh, what did you learn along the way? What, what were the challenges? And, you know, if a, if a patient comes to your uh, doorstep right now and, you know, how would you like tour us through on what that program looks like? Sure. Great. Yeah. So this has been really fun because, um, you know, over the years of, of finding out what didn't work in, in cardiology and the, and just to go back, the cardiac rehab works quite well. And we've boosted, you know, bolstered that in, in brought in a nutritionist. So we really have a, a very strong program now, but so very few patients are able to get that. They have to have a cardiac event effectively. So so here I was trying to reproduce something similar to pay for for a much broader range of patients, patients mm-hmm. before a cardiac event and high cholesterol, diabetic and so forth. And the first thing is to be able to start a conversation with people um that doesn't threaten them. Mm. Um about uh lifestyle and to present it as a positive thing. And so you know, sort of I've, my way of starting that is, you know, is, is the conversation about what's your everyday habits, the things that you do over and over and over, bite by bite, stride by stride, and thought by thought that just add up over the years um, uh, and and contribute to chronic disease or progression of chronic disease. And, and so let's look at those everyday decisions. And so we... 
we use a, um, a software platform that I like because it gets into some of that granular information about exactly what do they eat over and over and over and how do they sleep and how do they stress, how do they move. And that sort of uh, sheds a light that both of us can look at it. And it gives it scores, so it's sort of a comprehensive, I say it's a comprehensive lifestyle profile, like uh, like you would sit down and go through the comprehensive labs with the patient. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. hey, let's look at where you sit normatively on something as crazy as cruciferous vegetables, right, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. on a 10-point scale. So we do that. That's one piece of it. And then we um, we look at readiness to change some of the coaching premises. We send them to our coach, and they develop a wellness vision. So we try to tap into are they ready to change, are they ready to make a commitment, and what is their reason uh, for for making, you know, for going the length of making a change in their behavior. And then we, you know, our entire team, we, we set up frequent touch points with the nutritionist and the exercise physiologist and uh, and the physician so that we have frequent touch points. And, mm-hmm. you know, we come, we come back to that, their why, whenever we can. And then we, you know, layer into that um, a meal planning, you know, service. That's, again, mm-hmm. something that they can use as a software platform, you know, layer in the culinary medicine classes, um, which really add the community element to it. Um, And then we do, you know, biometrics around it so that we have the ability to, whatever their particular condition is, um, we we can look at, is it diabetes? Is it hypertension? What are, is it weight? What are the things that we can measure on this? And um, and as we go along, look at whether there's opportunities to de-escalate medications, to reduce mm. medications. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's been very rewarding. It's um, you know it's been it's been rewarding because because people can be you know very inspired uh, mm-hmm. by the results that they get. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, I love that. Um, You know, there's a lot of a lot of things to talk about you know, what you just shared in terms of, it sounds like a very comprehensive, you know, way to kind of go about uh, taking in a patient like that. Number one, it sounds like you're, you're trying to grasp, you know, what the why is. And I think a lot, you know, from my coaching experience, it's really about, you know, yes, it's important to have goal settings, right? But the, mm-hmm. I think the number one thing is understanding what their why is, you know, is there a why mm-hmm. just to lose weight? Is there a why just to, you know, prevent, you know, um, heart attacks or is there why, you know, uh, to, to see their children get married or, mm-hmm. you know, to see someone, you know, graduate high school, for example, you know, so everyone's why is different. And I'm glad that you, you know, weave that in into, um, you know, the conversation uh, with them, because without that, it's almost like you don't really have much of a 
driving motivational force. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's important to look at numbers, biometrics, and track mm-hmm. them over time. That's super important. But I think, um, you know, the why is very important. You know, I think you have a lot of uh, pieces in there that, um, you know, gets people excited, especially the column medicine um, aspect of it. And, and for those in the audience that don't know what culinary medicine it's a it's not a brand new field per se it's basically a, a take on blending the the culinary arts and the science of food and nutrition and weaving them as a as a as a as a modality to be able to uh, augment our health and what's great about culinary medicine is that we could do this in a group setting so almost you know for our healthcare professionals it's almost like akin to a shared medical visit or a group medical uh, appointment, um, you know, where you can have peer-to-peer interaction. And that's where you're referring to, um, uh, Kate, about the community aspect of it, because uh, one of the pillars of lifestyle medicine is to incorporate community and that tribe and the interpersonal relationship. So, um, so it's, yeah, it's super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the f- fun stories I, I, uh, I, I reflect on often in uh, one of our culinary medicine classes, we had a, a few guys there that probably weren't typically apt to put on a, an apron. Uh, some of them were there <laughs> with their wives. And, um, and so we, ha- you know, we needed uh, to wash the dishes. And they're like, oh, you know, there were like three of them. They were like over there, like happily washing the dishes and really just, in full conversation about any number of things. And it had so much spirit to it. So I, I just thought, you can't reproduce it. They had never met in each other, you know, in mm-hmm. their entire lives. And they were just forming uh, such a bond, washing mm-hmm. the dishes, uh, just before we were all going to sit down and, and basically have a, uh, a meal together, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, that, you know, that is so bonding for people uh, to to experience that we we don't even get to do that as much as we'd like in our in our life but uh eating with people is such an important part of our culture and and social life and everything and so it's it's a culinary medicine is a really nice way to to impart um lifestyle medicine yeah yeah so to kind of, you know, piggyback on this, you know, for for the solo practitioner that is listening in, what would you say to them if they wanted to kind of get started, you know, what would they need to do first, you know, if they were, um, you know, maybe, you know, having their own practice um, or they're working with a couple others and they're looking to start, you know, what would you say would be the first couple of steps, you know, they could do? Well, I... You know, I'm, I'm maybe, maybe like you, I'm sort of, well, I think that the basics are to, I think coaching is really important. So I, I say bringing, if you were a solo, I would be wanting to contract with someone uh, who could augment what I do in coaching uh, with a dedicated coaching appointment. Um, and I think the key, I really feel like uh, a nutritionist is is important. Uh, and so again, if I was a solo practitioner, I'd find a plant-based nutritionist that I could, mm-hmm. you know, uh, send my patients to. Because patients, when you, you get into the weeds of nutrition, sometimes it can get quite messy. <laughs> it can get quite messy because 
And I really respected, uh, I really found myself, I couldn't, I wasn't a nutritionist. I couldn't answer some of the questions patients would throw at me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't deal with some of the issues that they would, that they would bring up. So, you know, we, we have an amazing nutritionist um, who works with us. I really have appreciated her expertise. And so I, I would, I would do that again in a, in a heartbeat is to get a nutritionist. And I probably would uh, add to that, you know, if you're lucky enough to either, you know, get a exercise physiologist or a personal trainer um, and, mm-hmm. or maybe like a behavior um, health uh, therapist, because a lot of, you know, we do talk about food and nutrition a lot on the podcast, uh, but mm-hmm. in this specific, mm-hmm. in this specific uh, question, in this context, it's probably um, very, very equally, if not more important, to really enhance our emotional health, emotional wellness, mm-hmm. uh, behavioral change, things like that. Because um, I think a lot of lifestyle medicine is the driving force of changing yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, from that you can take care of others, you know, whether it's your, you know, uh, own family, you know, your kids, mm-hmm. your community members, you know. So I think it's a very you know, lifestyle medicine to me is a very self-reflective um, type of approach, you know, uh, mm-hmm. sort of speak, you know, not just for the patient, but also the healthcare provider. So mm-hmm. um, that's just one of the beautiful things. My next question I have for you is, you know, going into, you know, being the next president, um, mm-hmm. you know, of the college. And we've had the theme of the conference um, in the past, uh, you know, with health, uh, with, you know, true health, like uh, reform mm-hmm. and things like that. What do you think are the areas we have to do more of uh, improving um, or other areas we have yet to explore in terms of, you know, health reform at this point, um, mm-hmm. you know, being in the year of the pandemic um, and, you know, all the things that, you know, we're experiencing and, you know, the pandemic has done a really good job in terms of exposing the gaps of healthcare and health mm-hmm. disparities. So what do you mm-hmm. think, you know, more work needs to be done in terms of those gaps um, mm-hmm. from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because that is um, that is really top of mind. And, you know, the pandemic, you know, has been devastating across across lots of lines, but it's um, it's really it's really created a much better, a bigger scar uh, because of the underlying, you know, epidemic of lifestyle related comorbidities and you know we see that as as we all do in both in um, the hospital hospitalized patients having one or more comorbidities that are lifestyle related um, particularly the ICU admissions and and of course death you know so it's it's uncovered that the, the pandemic has exposed um, the the importance of these underlying comorbidities it's one thing to get infected it's another thing to get very very sick and then the other thing, of course, it's exposed is discrepancies with relays along racial and economic lines. Um, yes. You know, as devastating as that is, the uncovering of it is so, so important. Uh, and mm-hmm. it is an opportunity in lifestyle medicine to um, accelerate, you know, change and to accelerate and to, again, shine a very bright light on these disparities and on the fact that these comorbidities are in the background of the of the of the worst outcomes 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it not, it's not that it just produces a burden on those patients, but it you know has produced a burden on the entire healthcare system and the economic system and all of us. You know, as as this ripple effect. So I really think that conversation is um, is definitely lifestyle medicine is is goes beyond now being part of healthcare reform. You know, we've always thought of lifestyle medicine being the solution for value-based care, mm-hmm. the most cost-effective way that we can take care of an entire population is by putting more in the hands of the patient, the individual, and that self-care, but really putting it in their hands so that they understand it rather than just barking at them about it, really em- empowering them. We Healthcare reform is a whole nother thing. I think now it's that and more. It is actually really dealing, using lifestyle as a way to to soften these discrepancies and these outcomes for people and, and, and recognizing how to use lifestyle medicine in different populations is really important. Uh, you know, it's not a one size fits all. What you and I may want to tell someone to, to do or sh- even show someone to do who is in an entirely different culture or an economic situation mm-hmm. it will not be successful. We need to understand everything about their situation, their cultural and, and social, social and economic situation to really uh, be effective. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I think, um, the, you know, systemic racism and, you know, health disparities that's been not necessarily unearthed, but it's kind of like, I think of those two things as it's almost like a gigantic rock. You know, when you grow up playing as a kid, you know, you, you lift up a, a rock and underneath it, you know, you see a lot of earthworms, you know, underneath the surface, you know, but you don't really see it until you, you know, uncover the rock, right? So it's right. almost like the pandemic is the analogy of the rock where, you know, systemic racism and, and health disparities that is directly, you know, correlated with all this um, has been there for a very long time, you know, really, really at the forefront on national and global scale, um, you know, more so in the United States um, because of how we've dealt with it or lack thereof, you know, over time, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking forward um, and seeing, you know, where lifestyle medicine um, as one of the ways to reform, you know, to, to kind of change the conversation, change the paradigm shifts and, uh, you know, really, really actually have everlasting change. So I'm, um, you know, pretty excited. Um, I'm sure as you are, you know, you know, moving forward. So. Mm-hmm. No, I am. I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> it's, it's, a. Uh, you know, I'm ambivalent about being excited about something that's so tragic, but I'm, yeah. I, but it feels like it's more that we can grab it more that mm. we can, that, and I, I'm really happy about um, the black, black lives matter, the, you know, how long this has gone on. And, and I feel like, I feel like there's going to be a change. Um, and then it's going to be a change in a lot of ways, healthcare included. And that's why I'm so excited um, mm. that I really do feel like we're on the brink of something better. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, um, I love this. Um, I want to close out. Uh, one of my favorite questions to ask uh, my guests is, uh, it's a two-parter. One, the first part is, how do you personally thrive? Um, and what I mean by that is, 
you know, what really gets you up in the morning, what fuels your fire, what keeps you going in life, right? Mm -hmm. And then the Mm -hmm. second part of the question is, you know, for, you know, the audience that are listening in, um, you know, what are three tips that you can impart in terms of starting with a lifestyle practice? Meaning, um, you know, if I wanted to implement lifestyle medicine, you know, in my own life, you know, what would your top three tips uh, would be? Probably would guess that, you know, I thrive best with exercise when it's at the center of my lifestyle. And certainly, you know, certainly exercise in, in nature. Some piece of that time uh, mm. is much more soul-satisfying uh, soul for me than it may be doing everything in a gym. But, mm. you know, even like doing that as well. So, you know, for, for me, I I, uh, I really enjoy cooking as, as it's kind of a more of an art than a science, but I love cooking nourishing foods and uh, and and adapting and building recipes. So that's also, you know, it's also nourishing for me in other ways besides just physically. And then, um, you know, I think the other tip is is some quiet time of some nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, of course, different for all of us. For some mm-hmm. people, it's spiritual. For other people, it's meditative or some mix of the, all of that. Um, something that sort of nourishes uh, nourishes the soul and, and causes, you know, one to have some reflection. I think that's, that's a really important part of just thriving and, mm-hmm. uh, on a day by day basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. For those in the audience uh, that want to learn more about you or look you up, do you have something, um, you know, on the World Wide web <laughs> that you can refer them to? Um, or would it be, you know, just going to lifestylemedicine.org and, you know, capturing all the goodness it offers. Yeah, that that's it. I'm, uh, I, I, ha- I don't have my own webpage. We have a webpage at our uh, hospital for our practice, but uh, not for me personally. Uh, so, but I would steer people to, you know, lifestylemedicine.org, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, uh, just so much uh, there and so many rich resources. So thank you very much, Colin. This has been fun. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I can't wait uh, for your, you know, term to start and, you know, seeing what is on the horizon. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely be seeing you, uh, you know, virtually, you know, now that the conference yeah, is virtual. That's this right. Year. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom. Um, guys, this has been another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like this, please uh, like, follow, and subscribe. Um, if you feel this is a benefit to someone else, please share this as well. Thank you, and we will see you on the next episode. Hey, guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.